Okay, so let's read Revelation 12, okay? We got a couple of classes to deal with this chapter. So let's read Revelation 12, starting with verse number 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown or a diadem of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in, the, in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and his, on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of, of heaven, and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she had gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who's to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having, a, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the wings of the great eagle was, were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and, and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony, hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, as we begin this, and again, I'm going to be very strategic and when I ask, ask for com uh, com comments tonight, if I can get it out, uh, I'm going to be very strategic with that. And I want to ask for a little participation right now. Can you tell me, can you tell me just some things, don't give me your interpretation of things yet. I don't want to hear about interpretation yet. I don't want to hear interpretation yet. I just want to know based on what you just read there, what's some things that just stand out to you. Don't give me interpretation yet. Just what stands out to you right away. Okay, you got a red dragon. Good. What else? What's that? Birth of Jesus. What else? I said no interpretations yet. <laughs> All right, what else? Okay, a war breaking out in heaven. What else? 
Say it again. Okay, Satan thrown. You, you notice that? Satan thrown out. Very good. Somebody else? There's a woman mentioned here. Okay, that's important. Very good. Maybe a couple others. Okay, so the woman is nourished for a time. That's good. And give me one more. The, the, you say the birth? The woman gives birth. So you're with Ryan. So that stood out to you also. Real quick, Brother Kevin. Yes, sir. I can't hear you, sir. I'm sorry. Oh, the woman flees to the wilderness. Yes, that's right. I'm sorry, Brother Kevin. Uh, she flees to the wilderness for a time. Thanks, Lance. I appreciate that. Okay, that's good. Good, good stuff. All right, so I'm glad there's some things you noticed as we went through this. That's very good. All right, so let's revisit real quick, really quick. Revelation 11. Remember, this chapter wrapped up the second but the longest interlude of the book, right? We dealt with that Sunday. And remember, remember this came after John, the apostle, was told to eat the little book. After he was told to eat the little book, the message of the little book was going to be what kind of a message? Remember? Bittersweet. It's going to be a bittersweet message. And he was told to go and prophesy that message. He was going to go and preach that message to all kinds of people. Well, I believe that the, the, the chapter, this next chapter here, ties to that. And it's showing us the details of this message of judgment that John is going to preach. That he's going to preach to the nations. That he's going to encourage the people of God with. And these are the key elements of, of the vision or the message of the little book, the holy the city, the temple is measured, I'm sorry, and the holy city is trampled. You got the two witnesses prophesying. When the testimony is finished, the beast overcomes and kills them. The earth rejoices. Their bodies lie for three and a half days. Witnesses rise up, ascend, and a tenth part of the city falls. Then the seventh trumpet sounds, and the kingdoms of the world become the Lord's. Now, I told you my interpretation of those things. And what I believe John is, 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 is being told here about the specifics of this judgment, the specifics of this judgment. This is what I believe was 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 going on here. in Revelation 11, the temple being measured, representing the temple of the New Testament, God's people, the church. They're being accounted for and they're being told that while they're going to suffer physically, God will ensure that they are secure and protected spiritually. He always takes care of his people spiritually if they are faithful to him. We agree on that, right? It's one of the great promises of Scripture. The holy city is trodden. Again, this is another reference to the church. In the New Testament, the church is called many different things. We're going to have teaching on the church more on Sunday. But the church is called many different things in the Scriptures. Bride of Christ, body of Christ, temple of God, holy city, Hebrews 12. So the church is going to be persecuted, but the two witnesses, I believe, represent God's people. Remember, as Jesus sent his people out to preach when he was on the earth, he sent them out how? Two by two, two by two. And the gospel was preached, but as a result of the gospel being preached, th there's this persecution. And the people of God are killed and overcome for a period of time by the devil and his henchmen. And it appears, it appears that the devil and his henchmen have won. 
because the earth rejoices and the witnesses, their bodies lay in the streets. They're not even given proper burials. There, there appears to be an apparent defeat of God's cause, but eventually God steps in and he vindicates his people. His cause is rejuvenated. The gospel continues to spread. And eventually Rome is, has judgment brought upon her and the kingdom of God continues to increase and exist and it exists even to this day and we are part of it. And we're continuing to spread the borders of the kingdom. The kingdom of God will never be, will never be defeated. And I think that is, in a nutshell, what God is trying to tell his people. And this is an encouraging message. If you're a Christian in the first century, wouldn't you agree? Would you be encouraged by this message? If you were a Christian in the first century and you were going through the things that they were going through, of course you would. Of course you would be encouraged by that message. And so tonight we want to study Revelation 12. In Revelation 12, we're going to pick up the action after the interlude is concluded. God's going to, going to get very detailed with the, the specifics of this judgment he's going to bring upon his enemies. We're going to get details concerning the plan that God is going to execute to defeat his enemies on the earth at this time, and even the spiritual enemies. We're going to say a lot about that. Now, in Revelation 12, we're introduced to the main enemy. And I want to emphasize that. Please listen to this. We're introduced to the main enemy of the story. We've talked a lot about Rome, haven't we? And, 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 and rightfully so, but let's always remember that Rome, whether you say it's Rome or the Jews or whoever, they are not the main enemies of this book. They're nothing more than pawns of the main enemy of this book. The main enemy of this book is the devil. It's Satan. He's always the main enemy. He just uses different avenues to try to accomplish his will. But he's always the one orchestrating the evil and the persecution against God's people. And, and, and it's, it's important not to ever miss that because even today, I think we miss it. I think we look around at different things going on, all this bad stuff going on in our culture, and we're quick to blame so many different kinds of people. We'll blame politicians, we'll blame the entertainers, we'll blame scientists, we'll blame atheists, we'll blame agnostics, we'll blame all these different things, and the devil just gets totally missed in all of it. And you know what, that's how he likes it. He doesn't want anybody to talk about him or blame him because then he has more opportunity to continue to deceive people and lead people astray. So let's never forget about the devil. He is the main enemy, always, always, always of God's people. So we're going to talk about this great red dragon. And then you have the rest of these enemies who are going to be mentioned in the next couple of chapters. And then they're going to fall one by one. They're, we first introduced to the greatest enemy. Then we got the two beasts, then the harlot. And then they're going to fall one by one, going in the reverse order. Harlot, earth beast, sea beast, and then ultimately the red dragon will be cast into the lake of fire forever. Okay, so let's um, go through this text a little bit. Revelation 12. This chapter talks about the great spiritual battle that's being waged, and listen carefully to me, that's being waged behind the scenes. A spiritual battle being waged behind the scenes. What did Paul say? Our battle, he said this in Ephesians, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against what? Principalities and, Principalities and powers. And he goes on to say things, he explains even further when he says things of a spiritual nature. 
that's where our battle is. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. And that's and that's something that's hard to see at times because we're so physical. We want the physical stuff. But Paul says our battle is a spiritual battle. Brother Doug, go ahead, sir. Tell me to be quiet if you want to in October. No, go ahead. Does this have any correlation to Daniel's also spiritual battle we see behind the scenes? Or are they two separate? Which one are we talking about specifically with Daniel? Daniel and the Yes, and I, that's in the later. It's in the latter one of the latter chapters. That may even be Daniel twelve, if I'm not mistaken. Is that Daniel twelve? I think it's the same idea. Absolutely, it's the same idea. Uh, this this kind of stuff. What we're seeing with John, most, much of the time, is stuff that's already been done in the Old Testament. Uh, so, absolutely, Daniel twelve, same kind of thing. Absolutely. I'll take one more comment, then I got to jump into this. Go ahead, Lance. Yes, sir. Now you're going to Daniel 2 now, yeah, right, exactly. right. It goes all the way to what we're talking That's about. It's exactly right. right. It's like this is picking up at the very last part of that vision. That, is, that, that was something that I, I think I tried to mention maybe two classes ago. That, and even in the book of Revelation, it talks about, we, we studied this a couple of weeks ago, where it talks about the words of the prophets being fulfilled. And Daniel's words are a key part of that. He prophesied about the rise and the fall of these earthly kingdoms and how the kingdom of God would prevail over Rome. That's Daniel 2.44. So, so absolutely. Don't lose sight of the fact that the Satan has been in the same business since Genesis 3. We're going to get to that, Don, okay. because that's in here. Yeah. So Don always 10 steps ahead of me, which is fine. It's easy to be 10 steps ahead of me, Don. So, <laughs> so no, that's, that's exactly right. I remember that because we're going to talk about that, Don, absolutely. Okay, so this chapter talks about a great spiritual battle being waged behind the scenes, a battle between good and evil, a battle between righteousness and unrighteousness, a battle between light and darkness, a battle between the cause of God and the cause of Satan. Now, in Revelation 11, God already disclosed the outcome to this battle, but now starting here in Revelation 12, He's going to explain some of the details about this battle and why things are going to turn out the way they're going to turn out. And keep in mind that this message is designed initially, initially, to comfort these Christians who were going through some persecution that we can't even begin to fathom just yet. So just keep that in mind. The saints are not alone as they wage this great conflict described in Revelation. The one on the throne, the Father, and the Lamb Jesus will fight for them. But there is another side in this battle. The saints are facing some tremendous enemies, and Revelation 12 introduces us to the first of those enemies. The first enemy introduced is Satan, the great enemy of God's people, the red dragon. We learn that there's more in this conflict than events taking place on the earth. There's more going on, and there's always more going on than what we see with the physical eye. There's a deeper spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. It is a war of good and evil, or between good and evil, God and Satan. Why is Satan the, enemies of, the enemy of God's people? Why is he causing their persecution? We're going to look closely at this chapter and see if we can answer these important questions. So let's go ahead, and, and we're not in a big hurry here because we've got a couple of classes to deal with this. Let's start with the characters that we're introduced to here in Revelation 12, Okay. Let's talk about the characters. And I'm going to pop different questions up here, and hopefully we can all follow this together. There's a woman mentioned here. Somebody said something about this woman. 
I'm glad you noticed that. I'm glad you noticed the woman. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you uh, when to raise your hand here, but let me just ask some questions to get the ball rolling. I want to know who this woman is. I want to know who this woman is who is so majestic. She says she's majestic. Wouldn't you agree? She's majestic. She's full of glory. She's full of light. She's clothed with the sun. The moon is her footstool. And she's wearing 12 stars as a crown of victory. So there's a woman mentioned here, and this woman is very special. She's clothed in majesty and glory. She's clearly very important to God and his purposes. And please, let me just go ahead and say this so I can save some embarrassment here. Please don't want to say this is Mary. This is not Mary. Let's just go ahead and say that now, okay? This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Although we could say she's part of it, but it's not her specifically. Who is the woman? Israel. And when, I, when we say Israel here, because Israel is right. It is right. But let me expand that just a little bit because y'all are right. But when I, when I think of Israel here from my study of this, I don't just think of Old Testament Israel. It's also New Testament Israel. Spiritual. It's spiritual Israel. I, and, I, and so the best way I know how to say it is this. Let's just say that this is a representation of the faithful of God. The faithful of God. Whether we're talking about Old Testament Israel or New Testament Israel. And I think we got to look at it that way because I think as we keep going with the vision, when you get past the first two verses or so, the woman is going to start doing some things that clearly have nothing to do with Old Testament Israel. You're gonna, you see that as we keep going here. So the best way to look at this, I believe, is in the vision, she represents Israel. That's right. But she's Old Testament Israel, and she's also New Testament Israel. She is the faithful of God. The faithful of God. So that, let's, let's start there. Yes? I think that's a great way to look at it as a as a faithful remnant. That's exactly right. Go ahead, Don and James. After that, yes. There is also a link to the wisdom, uh, which God has to begin with, and it follows all the way through, developing the nation, the prophecies, and everything that you follow. That whole line coming up through on both sides of the cross and through the cross in particular is the wisdom of God. Yes. Absolutely. And I think that's the key is we see God always having a special people to carry out his will. And we see when we connect the dots through the scripture, because we we're blessed to see the whole picture here, that that people is always a special remnant, faithful remnant, like you said, but they're always Israel. They're always Israel. Uh, so that's a good point. Brother James, go, go ahead, sir. Yes, yes. You know, so we could do 10 classes just on the imagery of, from the Old Testament and the New, the typology, things like that. And how you're right, under the Old Covenant, 
Israel, particularly Jerusalem, where the temple was later in Solomon's time, that's where God's presence was with his people. But now we are Israel and we are the temple and God's presence is with us in an even closer way. He's with us all the time, even right now. We don't have to go to some physical place to be in the presence of God because uh, we are his temple now. So this is Israel. This is Israel. This is the faithful of God. And let's talk about the child. We can agree on the child, can't we? We know who the child is, the male child. Who is the male child that came into the world here? This is Christ. Nearly every scholar, in fact, maybe all scholars agree on this. This is Jesus. So the woman gives birth to Jesus. Someone says, well, I thought Mary gave birth to Jesus. Well, yeah, we're thinking physical now. We got to go spiritual here. Mary was part of what? She was part of Israel. So who, what people did God use to bring his son into the world? Old Testament Israel. Through Old Testament Israel, through the faithful of God on the old covenant, God brought his son into the world. And it's important to recognize the faithful of God, because remember, the cap during the captivity, God was punishing the unfaithful. But like you said, there was a faithful remnant that came out of that. And much of that faithful remnant came through David's lineage. And God promised David that through him or because of his faithfulness, he was going to put somebody on his throne who would establish it forever. And Jesus came. He came from Judah. Uh, Brother Johnny, then I, I got to get moving because we got a lot to cover here. Go right ahead, sir. The need for Jesus what, 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 what do you say, sir? The need for Jesus Absolutely. The need for Jesus is what brought Jesus. That's a great point. So are we are we together so far? We know who the woman is. The woman is the faithful. And we know who the child is. The child is Jesus. God used Old Testament Israel to bring his son into the world. But let's talk a little bit now about the next part here. Let's talk about verse number three. Let's talk about verse three a little bit. Okay, before you tell me who it is, because you know who it is, but before we get there, let's just talk about how, he, how this person is described here. He's described, just, just pop it out to me. Well, how is he described? Great. I like that. That's good, Rick. He is a great, powerful, red dragon, right? Great, red, powerful dragon. He has how many heads? What does seven represent in Revelation again? Complete. Some suggest that this could refer to the fullness of his intelligence. Would you, would you think Satan is an intelligent being? Now, we, obviously, he's not God. He doesn't know everything. He didn't know what, what was going to happen with Job. God did. God knew that Job was going to come out of that pretty good. But the devil didn't. If he did, he wouldn't have tried it in the first place, right? But just because he doesn't know everything like God, is he stupid? Very cunning. Very intelligent. He even, Paul even says in 2 Corinthians 2, he has schemes. He's able to scheme. He's not as intelligent as the father and his son, Jesus, but he's more intelligent than us. Let's just be honest about it. We, 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 we can't stand with him against him alone. He's got how many horns? 
ten horns. So the ten is, again, another number that goes with completeness. And some say the horns may represent power, how the devil is a powerful spiritual being. Peggy, you made a reference to that. He's a powerful being. How many crowns does he have? Now, what, is, what does crowns represent typically? Authority. authority. He's got some authority, and Paul says that. He told us that in Ephesians 2, in verse 1, when he called him the prince of what? The power of the air. So, go ahead. Yes, yes. And, but, and I think this is something good to talk about a little bit, Gary, because just because Satan is not more powerful than God, that doesn't mean he doesn't have some power. In fact, right now in this life, who would you say people follow more, God or Satan? Who has more influence in the world right now, God or Satan? So he's got some power. <laughs> he has intelligence and he's got authority. He has authority over darkness and wickedness. And we see that all the time. Now, the red dragon is obviously, we just said it, it's Satan. But how can we be sure it's Satan? How do you know 100% that this is Satan? It said so. That's it, Peggy. Where does it say so? It says so in the text there. What is it? Where does it say it in the text? Verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. The great dragon was thrown down. And, I, and this is interesting here because it calls him the serpent of old. What is that a reference to? This is the only time in the Bible where Satan is directly called that serpent. Now, we know that, obviously, but here he's directly called it. We don't have to really guess about it or just kind of connect the dots or whatever. The, the text here clearly says that was him. <laughs> that was him, the serpent of old, who was called the devil. And, and let me also say that. Jesus in John 8, 44 says he was a, a liar from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning. So Jesus even puts him there. But again, John wrote that, too. So John really deals a lot with Satan. So it's a serpent of all who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. So we don't have to we don't have to guess when it comes to that apocalyptic language. The text clearly tells us this is Satan. Now, he's got a, he's got a tail here. The scripture says he does something with his tail. What does he do with his tail? What do y'all think about that? Let me just ask you first. What do y'all think about this sweeping away the stars? Sounds like Revelation 9. Explain, if you don't want to explain further. Could be. Could be. I didn't think of that. But that's, that is found in Revelation 9. That's true. Anyone else have a thought? Brother Doug and Ryan after that. I lean towards that way more. I think this is a reference to him uh, harming God's people. But I'll tell you this, <laughs> Doug, don't get too happy, Doug, because I really don't know. I'll tell you what I do know. I think that from this it's pretty clear that this dragon is powerful. He's powerful enough to wipe stars out. Not literally, not literally, but the language is trying to emphasize that. It's trying to emphasize his power and his ability to do 
to do things that ordinary men cannot do. I think that's the idea. I think the thing to take away from this is Satan is not a weak and feeble enemy. We're not playing around with some weak, feeble enemy here. Okay, this is somebody very dangerous that we can only defeat with God. We can only defeat him with the help of God. And that's why it's important to recognize in the text or when I said up up there earlier how God fights for his people. See, without God fighting with us and fighting for us, we don't have a chance. And that's the main thing I want you to see without getting all scholarly on this. Let's just recognize the devil's powerful and that we need God to defeat him. And that's how Revelation is trying to portray him as a strong enemy. That's the point. And that's what I want to focus on. Y'all know I'm from I'm from East Texas. I'm country. So I like to keep things simple uh, and practical. So so let's just let's just stay with that. Go ahead, Don. Yes, sir. Right, right. And so when you look at the apostles who had the thrust to get everything started and then turning it over to their disciples to keep it going, there's there's a little hint here that Satan had the influence to make sure that those apostles who died came out of the way. And again, I think that ties back to what Doug was saying. I think it's the same idea. And that's where I lean towards. Uh, I'm not dogmatic on it, but I lean towards this as a reference to what he's doing to the church in a destructive way. Starting with the apostles. I agree with that. I do. He's, and, and let's just say this real quick about his power. I'm glad y'all are into this. It seems like y'all are really seeing this and really into it, and I appreciate it. I really do. Let's say something else about his power. Beyond just the, like you were saying, the power of persecution to destroy uh, people's lives. But... His real power is found in his power to persuade. Would y'all agree with that? His power, what do you say, sir? To delude, to to deceive. And we see that as early as Genesis. And and in fact, he's even persuaded angels. Because doesn't the Bible say that Satan has angels? And Jesus said that the hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And the, and the scriptures also talk about how there are angels who've been cast into spiritual prisons awaiting the great day. What happened to these angels? Were they created evil? No. They were created with free moral agency like us, but they chose at some point, like many people do in the world today, to go with Satan. Why would anybody do that? Well, why, would, why do some Christians do that, right? Sin is enticing. The devil's persuasive. Uh, he always sell, tries to sell, a, uh, sell something, but what he offers comes, doesn't even come close to what God offers. Brother Rick, yes, sir. I was going to say the idea of greatness again. He couldn't have fought this war without having an army. Yep. And this, and, and this wasn't some like easy war here. I mean, he's got a whole empire. He's got a whole empire. And 
If the church ever was going to get stomped out, it would have been during this time. If it ever was going to be. And that's why the whole book had to be written, devoted to this. Uh, so that's good thoughts. Now, let's keep going here. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, Brother Greg. Forgive me, sir. Right. In that whole context there, Paul is basically saying Satan has power on people who give him power. Right. Who is it that gives Satan power? Unbelievers. And so yep. Satan is a powerful being when we have doubt and unbelief in God in our hearts. And that's how he gets to the world and that's how he gets to Christians, is by using that doubt to insert himself and then to veil the light of the, to the, the light of the gospel, which is the image of God. And that's what he's trying to do. And in, in that same book, you know, the same writer Paul talks about how we're not ignorant of his schemes. You know, the devil doesn't have anything new. He just has something that's been effective for him. But we decide whether or not we will allow him to defeat us. We decide that based on our choices and whether or not we're going to submit to God fully. It was that way with Adam and Eve in the beginning, and it continues to be that way. In fact, and that's a great point, Brother Greg, speaking of Adam and Eve, before we close, can y'all go to Genesis 3 real quick? Because, Don, you know I was going to get there. You know we were going to get there. Let's, let's answer this last question real quick, okay? Uh, the male child. I want to close here, okay? And we'll finish this Sunday. What does the dragon try to do to the male child once the male child is born? He tries to devour him. He tries to destroy him. He clearly hates this child. Wouldn't you agree? He has enmity against this child, right? And isn't that what we find being prophesied in Genesis? Remember after Adam and Eve had sinned against God and God was pronouncing his judgments and punishments upon them, he says something to the serpent who we know clearly was Satan. In Genesis 3 and verse 15, he says to, the, to Satan, I would put enmity, that word enmity is the idea of hostility, Enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So Satan and his people are going to have hostility and enmity towards Eve and her descendants, which here in this context is a reference to Jesus. This is a reference to Jesus because Jesus came through Eve, <laughs> through people. We know he came from heaven, but he also came through people. There was going to be enmity between Satan and his people and Jesus and his people. That's the point. He will bruise you on the head or crush, just more is the idea. Crush you on the head. But you're going to bruise him on the heel. The idea of he's going to inflict some small wound. And that, I believe, took place ultimately when he persuaded evil men to put Jesus on the cross. But Jesus would totally wipe him out and crush him by being raised from the dead and defeating him. Defeating death once and for all. Brother Mitch, yes, sir. Practically speaking, uh, Satan is so intelligent that he knows each of our weaknesses. <laughs> yep. And that's where he attacks us. Yep. And, and he studies us to know that. And that's when, and going to what you said, that goes back to 
to Adam and Eve, even with them. He, you know, she saw the tree was a light to the eyes, and, and he knew where to get her. He knew who to go to. He didn't go to the leader of the family, did he? No, he went to Eve, and he, and he got her in a vulnerable state. And, and he deceived her and lied to her, saying that God was lying, telling her that God was lying to her. And then the rest is history, bad history. But let me just, so, so that's a good point, Mitch. But let me say this before we close here. Genesis 3.15 is being talked about here in Revelation. As, as soon as the child is coming, Satan wants to destroy the child. There's a hostility there. You understand that? There's a hostility there between good and evil, between Satan and Jesus, between Satan and his spiritual army and Jesus and his spiritual army. There's, a, there's this hostility or enmity there. We see this practically being carried out in Matthew 2. When Jesus was born, what immediately happened once someone found out about him being the king of the Jews? Herod tried to kill him. Herod tries to kill him. And he, and he kills all the two-year-old babies in Bethlehem in an effort to try to get Jesus. Was it really just Herod doing that? Or was it somebody behind that more? The devil was. So we see the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, but also we see it even practically being carried out in Matthew 2. The devil knowing how important Jesus is and how he's trying to mess up the scheme of redemption. That's what I want you to see there. Brother Gary, and then Mitch after that, we're going to close. That's a good thought uh, and very well could be. It makes sense. Uh, I hadn't thought about that before, but that's that's um, that's some good food for thought there, Gary. It definitely wouldn't be out of line with anything. Definitely wouldn't be. Uh, Mitch, you have something to say, sir. To just do something. Absolutely. And even with Jesus and Matthew 4, when Satan is trying to tempt him to sin, Jesus goes on the offense. And by using the word of God, that's how you defeat him ultimately, is with the word of God. And, and using, in our case, the main tool God has given us, which is the sword, the sword of the scripture. Uh, so, absolutely. Good point. That's a good point to close with. So, let's stop there. Are y'all with me so far? Okay, uh, don't y'all jump me after this. I, okay, I, I'm doing the best I can here. Some tough stuff. But thank y'all so much. I appreciate it. Thank you.